How many watched, stayed up late and watched the volleyball game last night? Wow. Two Husker wins, right? <laughs> you were there, huh? Wow. <laughs> yeah, that was... Uh, they got that first set win, and then it's kind of like, uh, but then they came back. So that was, that was cool. Uh, congratulations to the Crete football team. They made playoffs, so they're going to be, I suppose that'll start up this weekend, so congratulate them. We've got a couple players here. Everett, Owen maybe grab, went and grabbed some coffee there. So, um, so that's exciting. And then coming up, just for some announcements coming up, um, so we got a wedding coming up November 3rd. Our oldest son is getting married, oldest and last son to get married. So that'll be on November 3rd up in Omaha. And uh, so that'll, it's going to be a busy week. So that's not that far away, really. And then we got youth convention on 10th and 11th. And then Christy Bai is going to speak on the 12th. So uh, we got some good things happening and coming up here. So uh, let's keep you posted on all that. We're going to be back in the book of Acts. We are couple more messages and then we're going we're gonna to tie a bow in that and probably move into Thanksgiving and then into Christmas. Can you believe it? Thanksgiving and Christmas. I, uh, you, you like Christmas, huh? Is that, is that the deal? You like Christmas? I, I do like Christmas too. I don't always know if I like all the snow and the work that it means, but I do like, I do like the Christmas time of the year. Amen. So the book of Acts, you should have this down by now. Is The key verse is Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so we've seen that happen. Paul's gone on three missionary journeys by where we're at the point where we are at. Now he is in Jerusalem, and now he is taken to Caesarea, and eventually he's going to end up in Rome. Um, he is arrested at this point for false accusations. And so that's where we're going to pick up our story. So three weeks ago, we talked about Paul's testimony before a hostile crowd. We talked about sharing our own story, our own faith. Um, and then we talked about two weeks ago, talked about courage. And then we had the Hazis with, uh, with us last week. So you can pick up those messages on YouTube. And uh, we are streaming to YouTube now as well. So you can find either the live stream or the, uh, the edited message part uh, on our page there on our channel. So, so last time, we, two weeks ago, we left off. Paul was being transferred from Jerusalem to Caesarea because there was a plot to kill him to end his life. All right? Um, and that's uncovered by a young man, so that's where we talked about the courage thing. So today we're going to talk about another... Uh, I kind of wrestled with this a little bit, and then all of a sudden the lights came on, so... I hope, uh, I hope God was speaking through that. So let's bow our heads in prayer and just ask God's blessing. Father, we thank you for this day, dear God. We thank you for the opportunity to study your word and, for, and to engage it so it can change and transform us. Uh, it's a mirror. It's a mirror. As we look into it, we, we see who we are. We see the sin in our life, but we also see what you've called us to be and uh, the promises and the hope and the future that is there. And so, Lord God, we pray that as we look into it, Lord God, that it is able to guide and direct us, correct us, transform us into who you've called us to be. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, Amen. So, we're going to begin in chapter 24. We're going to end in chapter 26. And I'm not going to read all three chapters for you just because it's a lot of historical stuff. It's good stuff. So I encourage you, that's your homework for this afternoon, is just to sit down on the couch 
And during the commercials of the football game, Mary Beth, you can, you can, read, you can, read, uh, you can read this passage, okay? All right, okay. All right. So um, we're going to pick up in chapter 24 here. So um, Paul was arrested in Jerusalem, false accusations. Um, there's a plot uncovered that they're trying to kill him. So for his own safety, he's transferred to Caesarea. That means now he's under the, the ruling guy there, the governor. His name is Felix. All right, everybody say Felix. So Felix had some understanding of the Jewish tradition, and I believe his wife was a Jewish from the Jewish faith as well. Um, and so um, he begins to do his own investigation as to what the accusations they were bringing against Paul and, um, and so on. So the, what I want to read, verse 10 of chapter 24, when the governor, so now he brings the Jewish people together and that are bringing the charges and Paul, and when the governor motioned for him to speak, Paul replied, I know that for a number of years you've been the judge over this nation, so now I gladly make my what? My defense. And so I've entitled the message this morning, this I believe, but my secondary title would be my defense. But I thought if I call it my defense, people aren't going to understand what I mean by that. All right? So he goes, I'm going to make my defense. Now we're going to see this term come up again. So we go to cha- uh, same chapter, verse 22. Uh, Paul goes on in speaking. And then in verse 22, he says, Then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, so that is a terminology that was used for Christians before they were called Christians, adjourned those proceedings. Um, when Lysus, the commander, comes, he says, I will decide your case. He ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard. He wasn't in chains, but chains, but he was under guard and because he was a Roman citizen, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to take care of his needs. Okay, so he's kind of like under house arrest type of deal. Verse 24. <clears throat> Several days after Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was a Jewish. And he sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about the faith in Christ Jesus. And as Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and says, hey, that's enough for now. All right. I think the end time things maybe got him a little. You may leave when I find it when I find it convenient. I'll send for you. And at that same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe. So he sent for him frequently and talked with him. So there was this ongoing conversation that Paul would have with this governor Felix over Caesarea. And verse twenty-seven says, "When two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Festus." But Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, so he left Paul in prison. So he's kind of under this house arrest. He has a lot of freedom. Uh, His needs are being taken care of, but he's still still under arrest. And then we go to chapter 25. So now Festus, you have Felix and then you have Festus, comes in office. And he's not as acquainted with the Jewish, this way, okay? He is, and even Judaism, he's not really familiar with as well. But you go to verse 6 then. Um, of chapter 25, it says, Then Paul, so just to back up, Festus, then the Jews come and say, Hey, we're going to now try our luck with Festus and see if we can get Paul tried. And so they bring their charges to Festus. And so then Paul wants to he, uh, Festus wants to hear what uh, Paul has to say. Verse 8, Paul then made his what? His defense, right? Verse 8. I was supposed to start at verse 6. Okay, verse 6. After spending eight or ten days with them, 
Festus went down to Caesarea. The next day he convened the court, ordered that Paul be brought to him. And when Paul came in, the Jews came down from Jerusalem and stood around him, and they brought many serious charges against him, but they could not prove them. Verse 8, then Paul made his defense. We have that word again. And have done, he goes, I've done nothing wrong against the Jewish law or against the temple or against Caesar. Verse, we'll go through 12. Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, are you willing to stand, go to Jerusalem and stand trial before, um, before these charges? And Paul answered, I stand now in Caesar's court where I ought to be tried. I'm not gonna, I've done nothing wrong to the Jews as you yourself know very well. If, however, I'm guilty of doing anything and deserve death, I, will, I do not refuse to die. But these Jews are not true. No one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. Okay, so he appeals to Caesar, which he means he wants to go before Caesar in Rome. All right? And after Festus had confirmed with this council, he declared, you've appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you will go. All right, so now preparations are being made for Paul to be sent to Rome. But before that happens, a guest comes to visit Festus, and his name was Agrippa, all right? King Agrippa, all right, comes, so he's up higher on the authority chain in the Roman government, and he comes to visit. And um, they dialogue, and Festus goes, I don't know what to do, and so he kind of gets some counsel from King Agrippa. And Agrippa says, hey, I, want to, I would be interested in hearing what Paul has to say. I, why don't you invite him in and we can, we can talk. And so chapter 26, then Paul shares his story for the third time in the book of Acts, his account of his conversion and what God had called him to do. All right? Um, and, and, and so both Festus and Agrippa and Agrippa's wife are there and they're lis- listening to this. And then at verse 24 is where I want to pick it up. I guess in verse, verses 1 and 2 of 26, again, Paul mentions with his hand, I will begin my defense, and then I'll make my defense. So he uses that word again. Verse 24, it says, At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. It says, You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. Verse 25, I'm not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can freely speak with him. I'm convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it, is not, it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, you believe in the prophets. I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do not think that in such a short time that you can persuade me to become a Christian. Kind of a very powerful verse there. Verse 29, the verse that follows, Paul replied, In a short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. The king arose, and with him the governor and Bernice, which was King Agrippa's wife, and those sitting with him. And after he left the room, they began to say to one another, This man did nothing that deserves death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free, if he had not appealed to Caesar. All right, so I said all that. The key word we're going to focus in on this morning is my defense. So the word there that Paul uses five times is, is that you have to know by the time you leave is Apollo Geomai. Say that with me. Apollo Geomai, okay? Now, it, it is a similarity to our word apology, and that's why I pointed out, because apology does get its roots probably from this Greek word. But apology for us means we are, we're asking somebody's 
um, permission or we're usually saying, hey, I, I'm sorry I messed up, right? We're asking for, we're, we're saying an apology. I'm sorry for doing this, right? That is when we use this term an apology in this sense, it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with making your defense, all right? To provide an argumentation in defense of oneself. Now, Peter would use a similar word in 1 Peter three fifteen through 16. And maybe you've read this before. It says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do it with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of slander. Now, be prepared to give an answer to the hope that you have. So it's that same word, a defense of your answer. So this is what the ESV, the English Standard Version says, but in your hearts honor Christ as Lord as holy always, being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Hey, why are you a Christian? Why do you believe what you believe? Uh, okay. New Living Translation, instead you must worship God as the Lord of your life and if anyone asks you for the hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Okay, I like the way the New Living does. New American Standard, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always being ready to make a defense to anyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you with gentleness and reverence. So that word for defense is apologia. Okay, so it's close to that same word, apologiomai. Um, and what it, from that we get the word apologetics. Have you ever heard of that word, apologetics? Apologetics means it's a term we use in Christianity to have an answer prepared for the hope that we have in Christ, or the defense of the Christian faith. All right? Paul was ready to defend not only the details of his false accusations being brought against him, but also his conversion and the hope that he had in Christ. He wasn't just sharing his story. He was providing evidence. He went back to the Old Testament prophets. He, he had evidence of the resurrection, and he's presenting that and as he mentioned to King Agrippa, he said, hey, this wasn't done in a corner. The events of his resurrection and death are, are documented. Peter then states, we should all be prepared to give an answer to the hope within us. This involves sharing your story, but also that you have a reasoned and intellectual response for those that ask you of the hope that is within you. When that happens, I shouldn't catch you off guard, Right? So apologetics is primarily an intellectual and a philosophical approach as if you were making your case for Christ uh, and your experience in the court of law. If you were to be brought into the courtroom and say, hey, why do you believe what you believe? Why have you placed your faith in Christ? What evidence would you provide of that? Your experience is definitely part of that, but also the facts and evidence that back up what you say. So in our class that we had this summer, one lady not Janet, I'm pointing at Janet, but Janet knows who I'm talking about. Um, her kids just said, you know, since you've been attending that church, there's a difference in your life. It was obvious to them that there have been changes that have been made. That is evidence that, hey, there's been a difference in my life, right? Okay. Now, some people come through Christ through an emotional appeal, that altar call, right? Um, but many only come through Christ through an intellectual approach, or philosophical approach that addresses some of the concerns that they have in their mind. Um, and that those people aren't wrong for that. Okay? Right? 
Now, how many, you know, if you want to be, how many intellectuals do we have in this room? You would consider yourself kind of a little more of an intellectual, right? You can raise your hand. You don't have to be embarrassed of it. Yeah, yeah, all right. My father-in-law was an example of this. Um, he grew up in a Catholic home. Uh, he grew up in a Catholic school, and then he was in preparation to become a priest. But he left, he left because there were questions in his mind that he felt like weren't being answered. There was a dilemma there. Um, and, and so because of that, he left the church. Um, he would be what we would call an agnostic. It means, it means he didn't hate God, but he didn't know if there was a God and if God could be known. He had these unresolved questions that he felt like couldn't be answered, and therefore he was just going to go live his life as a good person. But he just didn't really feel like there was a God that could be known. He was uncertain of that. He then got, later got married, met my mother-in-law, and they started raising a family. She was of the Jewish tradition. She wasn't Orthodox. In other words, uh, she wasn't raised to always go to the synagogue and, and worship and things. But Jewish in blood. All right. Um, and so they just didn't talk about religion until one day she went to a ladies group. She had young kids. And it was a ladies group for, for nursing moms. And it was through there that a, another lady shared her faith with uh, my mother-in-law. And she accepted Christ. She started taking the kids to church. And so my father-in-law was home alone. And so what did he do? He got opened some books and began to study. And so he, he, uh, he opened books like, Chris, you can put this up, Evidence of the Demands of Verdict was a, was a huge book that was important to him. And you can still buy that. It was written by Josh McDowell. Uh, this is probably the most newest and updated version of it. And it just, it's full of documentation, whether it's about the resurrect, why the resurrection actually happened. It's one of the most documented events in history. Did you know that? We, there's a lot of things that we read in our history books and we accept them as truth that don't have nearly the documentation evidence that the resurrection of Christ does. It has documentation of why we can believe what the Bible says is true. You know, we, we hold it up as God's word, right? But... There's ways that you can validate that it is true that the historical events that are recorded in here have actually taken place and there's documentation for that. So if, it, if, if those things are true, why wouldn't the rest of it be true, right? And, and, and so it, it goes through and documents that. There's another one that's a little more recent, A Case for Christ, maybe a little bit different uh, perspective or by, written by Lee Strobel. Those are both great books. So in preparation for this message, I grabbed all my books on apologetics and took them home. And what was kind of interesting is uh, several of those books belong to my father-in-law. And so as I'm, I'm going through those, I'm seeing his notes. I mean, he has handwritten notes because he would teach this in Bible college in different places. And just his handwritten notes. So it was a little bit of uh, just an interesting moment just going through that and to see his highlights and going through that. Um, but it, it, it changed his life. And it was very instrumental in his life. Apologetics was. He dug into it for himself. Eventually he came to the place where he said, you know what, I know that this is the truth. And so he started taking, he went with the family to church uh, would go back to Bible college. He already had a master's or two. He got another one. And eventually I would run into my wife at Bible college because he was one of my professors. Um, apologetics. Justin Martyr. You maybe heard of his name. He was martyred for his faith. And there's a book called, Justin's book called Martyrs, I believe. Um, lived from 100 A.D. to 167. But he used apologetics to address the ridicule and misrepresentations that pagans brought against Christianity. And he would destroy their arguments, right? OK? 
okay, with evidence. There's another one, Athen, Athengorius. He was from Athens, Greeks. And we know Paul went through there, you know, on his second, second and third missionary journey. He'd go through Athens and Greece and Corinth. Uh, this is where he was, second century. But he again used apologetics to address um, accusations that Christians were, they, they promoted incest. You know, we all know what incest is, right? All right, why would Christians be accused of that? Well, because we call each other what? Brother and sister in Christ. And, and so pagans, people that didn't believe in God, would hear that and they thought, oh, what, what? You know, they thought it was strange. So he would use apologetics to defend that. Or that, that Christians were cannibals, right? They ate other people. Why would they say that? Communion, right? Jesus said, right? Whenever you take this, you're partaking of my flesh and my blood, right? Right? And so we don't see them as the actual flesh and blood of Christ, but we do see them as symbols. But people would hear talk of that and they would then begin jump to conclusions. So, so some of these early church fathers, we would call them, used apologetics to defend other Christian beliefs. In our nation, um, many of our founders of our nation had Christian values. Um, I don't know if they were God-fearing people in the fact that they had a relationship with Christ, but they definitely had godly values. Many of them were deists. Okay? And a deist believed in the Word of God, and it believes in the teachings there, the morals of Jesus, but they did not believe in the miracles of Jesus. I don't know if everybody realizes that. They didn't believe in the miracles because liberal theology had come in and just kind of like miracles can't happen because scientifically they just can't happen. They're impossible, right? Right? And I would agree with that. But God does do miracles, right? God does do miracles. And so they had that values. Um, and, and, and so I, I believe we live in a world where apologetics is so important. And Paul makes his defense before kings, before governors, um, people that were intellectuals, right? And people that wanted more than just the emotional appeal. They wanted to know the facts and the evidence. And Paul says, hey, this is my defense. Peter says we must be ready to give our defense before anybody that asks us for the hope that we have in Christ. So why do you need to be prepared, be prepared to answer in defense of what you believe? i got three reasons here. And I can't read the clock, so that means I can go forever. All right. Okay. First of all, it'll address the doubts you have in your heart and mind. You say, I don't have any doubts in my heart and mind. I think every Christian does. At some point in your life, you will have doubts. And we have to go to our word at time, God's Word at times. But we can also go into uh, do our own study. Get a book on apologetics if there are questions that there are things that puzzle you. Uh, for some people, it's certain passages in Scripture, and sometimes people say, well, you know, there's this passage in Scripture, and, you know, it, it, you know how it's interpreted, it can't be true. And, and so they use that as an excuse to not believe in God, all right? But do your own study and, and, and wrestle with some of those things so that you can have a good foundation, whether it's, is the Bible real and can, is it truth for me today? Is my conversion real? You know, I, I, I feel like God really touched me, and, but then we get in a rough moment and we begin to sometimes question what we believe. Is Jesus real? Yeah, there's a lot of documentation. He was a real man. He was crucified on a Roman cross and he was resurrected. You know, to have knowledge is great, 
But just because you have knowledge of God doesn't mean you have the hope of salvation and that you actually believe that He is God. Uh, The demons believe that, right? James 2.19 says the demons believe there's a God, but they don't have the hope of salvation. Knowledge is not enough. People around us um, believe that there's a God. If you just did a survey and say, hey, do you believe that there's a God? Probably 9 out of 10 or 8 out of 10 would say, yeah, I believe there's a God. But it doesn't mean that they're a Christian. It doesn't mean that they're following God. They probably have tons of questions. So yeah, they maybe believe that there's God, but they don't know Him. What does it take for you to move from that place of knowledge of God to that you are a believer that He is the true and the living God that you're willing to commit your life to? That there's a heaven, that there's a hell. Um, I really encourage you to pick up a book, Evidence Demands a Verdict or A Case for Christ. Um, one of these contemporary apologetics books that kind of just dive into the evidence there to resolve the questions and doubts within your own mind. That leads to the second point. Once you resolve the doubts and questions within your own mind, it'll lead to the next point, which is it'll give you confidence in sharing your faith with others. If you don't have those questions answered within your own heart and mind, you will not be able to give an answer to somebody else that asks you. You're going to be there. uh, You just won't. And sometimes you may know the answer, maybe you won't. But as a Christian, you need to have your own defense of the Gospel and study why is God real? Why are the Scriptures real? Why do I know that my conversion and my experience is real and authentic? If we can nail those things down, then we can share it with a world that wants those same questions. I was just asked... And Sierra, I saw some of you guys at the school today uh, this last week at lunch, and I was asked the question by a student. So, does the Bible have something to say about Israel? You know, Israel's in the news and all that. I said, yeah, it does. Didn't talk long about it, but he asked the question, so I get to answer it. Be prepared for the answer in defense of it, right? Um, Okay. Number three, it gives you that foundation to to share with other people. Number three, it keeps Christianity in the forefront of shaping cultural ethics. Um, That's why you need to know apologetics. What do I mean by that? Um, In some ways, maybe we've lost the battle, but I think there's people out there. Um, It keeps Christianity on the forefront of shaping cultural ethics. What do I mean by that? We have people in the area of philosophy and science and math that are trying to say, you know what, Christianity is real because it just doesn't make sense. There's no way that that can be happening. All right? Miracles can't happen today or uh, that's outdated. And we need people that have a defense that under have evidence that says, you know what, yeah, uh, Christianity is real. And that answers some of the questions of our day because if we don't have those things worked out and we don't have the evidence for them, we kind of tend to go with culture. We need Christians that are able to debate and defend Christian virtues and ethics in a world where science and reason dominate people's decisions. Um, So one of legal counsel for the Assemblies of God, uh, her name is Kristen Wagner. For long, many years, there was a guy by the name of Richard Hammer and he always made us laugh, and he, he, he has like this really expensive telescope, and he, he, he would always show us pictures of space and stuff like that. Brilliant man. Um, 
Aaron, our oldest, who's getting married, is, uh, had him for a class on astrology and, and uh, just, you know, examination of the stars and the solar system. But this last couple of years, it was shifted to Kristen Wagner because uh, Richard Hammer retired. And she provides us legal counsel. And she also works with uh, legal counsel defending the rights of Christians across our nation. And at at general counsel this year, she did this presentation and she just kind of, she got a, it's the only time that I've been in a general presbyter meetings and seen somebody get a standing ovation for a presentation that they did. But she did it on gender dysphoria, gender confusion. Okay, we all know that's in the news, right? And parents, if you are a parent, you better get on top of this, okay? Because, you know, there, there's people that would like for you not to even know about that. For your child to make huge life-altering decisions without you even having knowledge of it. That's our culture right now. But she gave this very evidence-based presentation and it just really uh, was very enlightening. You know why many young men and women choose to make a decision that, hey, I'm not a guy, I'm a girl, or I'm a girl. You know why they make that decision? They began to have their own doubts because they maybe don't fit into the, the perception that we've given male and female. And then they go to social media. Over and over again, they go to a social media group and they say, they get input from their peers and they say, oh yeah, you're this, you're this. And that is what they're making their decision based upon. Interview after interview. And many times the parents are being left out of the picture. That should concern you. Um, she did an excellent job in just confronting that. You know what? You can t- I was just ta- at camp, senior camp, talking with a mom who was helping out there. And her daughter went to the doctor said, yeah, I think I'm a guy. Doctor wrote the prescription, gave her different hormones. You know what? You can take different hormones and you can, you can even get operations, but it does not change your biological sex. Your chromosomes will still tell you if you are a male or a female. Did you know that? And to me, the biggest lie of that that Satan uses is that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, each and every person here today. And when we say we, 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 we get, I, I, I don't, you know, I understand that there's times that we can be confused and I understand that there's times that we can have doubts, but it calls into question that you are fearfully and wonderfully made and that God had a plan and a purpose for your life. And if Satan can destroy your identity, he, he's won a huge battle. And I wants, he wants to take the heart and soul of our young people. We have to know his truth. Um, there's other issues. There's cloning. Does the Bible talk about that? Is there things we can look at that? Abortion. Is abortion wrong? So why? You know, that used to be a pretty solidly thing as far as Christians. They were pro-life. That, that's shifted, folks. That's shifted. Um, so many things. Are we ready to engage our world in an intellectual, in a philosophical level with the things of Christianity? Christianity can stand on its own two feet. There's evidence there. 
whether you come at it from a philosophical perspective, there's many great philosophers out there that prove that's my father-in-law, he got into that, all the different theories all there, and I get lost in them. I had them for philosophy. It was the hardest class I had from him. Right? He loved it. He loved it when we struggled. Um, are you prepared for the answer to give the hope of Christ in you and share it with your world? You know, Peter, make, he ends that statement with a very key thing. He says, but be prepared to give an answer for the hope that is within you, but do it with what? With what? Gentleness and respect. I think that is so huge. You know, we can have the truth, and sometimes as Christians we can take that truth and we can beat people up with it. Um, God hasn't called us to do that. He's called us to share the truth with gentleness and respect. Jesus came with grace and then truth, right? He led with grace. He followed it with truth. I believe we need to do the same. We don't come across with arrogance. We don't come across with hatred. We come with gentleness and respect. I'm going to have the musicians come. What is apologetics? It's a reasoned defense of the Christian faith, of the religion. And Chris has a quote there. Christianity is faith, to be sure. But there are reasons for this faith. Faith is not to be confused with reason, but neither is it to be separated from it. Your faith in Christ can be validated through reason and facts. Know what those things are so that you can share your defense of what you believe and who God is. Musicians can come. Um, As we've been going through the book of Acts, Luke, what was his primary occupation? before being an author or writer. He was a? I can't hear it. He was a physician, right? Do you think he was a little bit on the intellectual side? I think so. And when he writes the book of Luke, all right, this is, I don't know why it's cutting out. All right. And so Luke in his first book, which is the Gospel of Luke, he's writing to a man named Theophilus, right? And so the whole book is written to this man, and Luke is one of the most detailed of the Gospels. And yet, Luke was not an eyewitness of Jesus' birth, of his resurrection, of his death, of his teachings, of his miracles. So where did Luke get all that? He went and interviewed the eyewitnesses. He got to know the people that were there. And he wrote a detailed account, not only, I believe, for, I think he wrote it partly for himself, but he also wrote it to other people, such as Theophilus and even us today. A detailed account, and I said, hey, this is the evidence of who Christ was and his life, his ministry. He gave us a defense of the gospel. You know what? You work with You work with people that have questions. You go to class with them. You see them when you're about town. You maybe have family that have those questions. And we must be like a Paul and a Peter and heed their words to be prepared for the hope that is within us. Um, That means you have to do some work. Pick up a book and do some reading. 
Discover those things. It's going to revolutionize your life. It's going to revolutionize your witness. And instead of when people talk about Christianity and you, you hear those discussions in a group, instead of being silent, you'll have something to say and it won't be just something superficial. It'll actually be, you know, this is what I heard. This is da 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 You'll, you'll be able to address it in a loving and gentle way but because you know what you believe and you know the facts, you know the research. You know your defense. Amen? Amen. So before you leave, you're going to have to give me your defense before you can leave. The, no. You know, I, I just remember... I've shared this with the youth group, and I think I've shared this on a Sunday morning, but I remember I was probably age 12. It was opening weekend of fishing in North Dakota. And so we stayed by the Cheyenne River overnight with my best friend, Jason. But there was another kid in our class. His name was Richard Sund. And I believe he he follows Christ today. Um, But I remember, you know, we were out there fishing, and he goes, Brent, there's something different about your life. What is the... What is the hope you have? And I don't know what answer I gave. All I know is I still remember that, and I I felt like um, I didn't have my ducks in a row, right? And it's always been a challenge to me to do better and to know what I believe. Amen? Would you stand this morning? This is a challenge, and as I was, there's a lot of historical stuff in this book of Acts, the latter part. It's good stuff. It's a good story. Um, but I think there are some things that really can speak to our life. Lord, this morning, if we don't have that hope in Christ, maybe we know there, maybe we think there is a God, and um, we hope that maybe we'll go to heaven. Lord God, we can know today beyond a shadow of a doubt that we have a hope in heaven, and we can know you as our Lord and our Savior. You said if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, we will be saved. Romans 10, 9, and 10. Lord, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Romans three twenty three, but Romans 6, 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life for those that are in Christ Jesus. Lord, allow us to place our faith and trust in you. If we don't have that hope, today is, can be our day that we declare that. And Lord God, for those that are We've made that commitment to you. Lord God, give us that foundation to dig deep. If there's doubts and questions within our own minds, that we actually dig in and find out why is the Bible true? and Why does it speak to me? Why, why, why is my conversion? Well, how can I defend my conversion before somebody that doesn't believe or maybe is even hostile to what I believe? And Lord God, just to wrestle with some of that so that we can have an answer prepared that is clear, that is concise, that is confident of the hope that we have in you. I, that is my prayer for each one here today. Lord. We give you the thanks and praise. Amen. Amen. Father, this morning, I pray that we can make that our prayer, that this is what we believe. And uh, there was a day, I believe, in the church where people believed things just because the pastor said it. And I, I appreciate that loyalty. But Lord God, the, the things of our faith, we have to discover for ourselves. We have to develop and dig deep 
to find that foundation of our own faith, of why we believe what we believe, why God's word is truth and it speaks to not only my life but to our world. And Lord God, allow us to dig deep and know those things because then comes the confidence and the boldness to share our faith with gentleness and respect and to have an answer for our world that says, why do you do what you do? Why do you, why do you go to church on a Sunday morning? Why, why do you believe in God? Why do you not go to parties? Why do you not do some of these things? Lord, give us the faith and the hope that we have in you as we dig deep into your word and know you better. Lord God, go with us this week. Let us be the light of the world and salt of the earth. Um, that city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Lord God, go with us. Let your blessing and your Holy Spirit be with us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Hey, God bless you this morning.